0: Good to see everybody this morning. I'm glad you're here. Please take your Bible and turn to the 85th Psalm. Psalms 85. We're going to be covering verses 1 through 6 this morning. Um, while you're turning there, Psalms 85, verses 1 through 6. Uh, let me just share with you, I think, I, I, in my mind anyway... I think that most people in our world today are thinking that something is about to happen. That something has to happen. We don't know exactly what it is, but we do know that there has to be something of some kind going on. This world can't continue to go down the road that we're on, keep doing the same things that we're doing without something happening. Now, what is that something? There are all kinds of theories about what's ahead of us, especially here in America. I want to share with you three things that could be about the happen. Some people are saying that our society as we know it here in America is about to collapse. That we just, things are just going bad. It doesn't seem like we can get anything done. And it seems like uh, America is headed for a downfall. I'm reminded of the historian, the Roman historian. His name was Seneca. He tried to warn the Senate of the Roman Empire of the impending collapse of that empire, and the senators, they laughed at him and called him a fool. Seneca said that three things were happening in Rome, and those three things inevitably lead to a collapse of the society. One of them was religious uh, apostasy. In other words, people were turning away from their religion. They were thinking that religion was no longer relevant to their lives or to this society. They didn't, they thought it was archaic, they thought it was something from the past. So, uh, religious apostasy, he said the second thing that was happening was a moral degradation. In other words, there were no moral guidelines, that people just did whatever they wanted to do without any kind of repercussions. They thought they just, if they wanted to do something, it was okay for them to go ahead and do that. And then the third thing was political anarchy. And that means that the laws are not being enforced, that the government of the people cannot get anything done. Everything is deadlocked and nothing goes forward. He says those three things inevitably lead to a collapse of uh, the social fabric of life. And whether you realize it or not, I think the United States is in that same kind of condition that the ancient Roman Empire uh, was confronted with before their collapse. So that's one thing that people think that might be happening, that something that has got to happen, that it might be a collapse of society as we know it. Another thing that some people think, a theory that they might have, is that Jesus Christ is going to come again. The second coming of Jesus Christ and that the judgment, God's going to bring it all to a close. He's going to say, I've had enough, it's time for us to bring this to a close and Jesus will come again. And the third thing that some people think might be about to happen is that a worldwide revival might be taking place. Could it be that America, that the world around us, is on the verge of a great revival? I believe that there are signs that this may be happening you just hear of things here and there that God is moving in different places, that certain things are beginning to take place. One of the things that uh, uh, I hear about, the popularity again of Christian-based movies. I heard on the news just this past week that this uh, Sound of Freedom is out uh, earning Top Gun Maverick. And uh, boy, that is a that is a big thing. And uh, but people are starting to realize that this woke and uh, liberal uh, ideology is not working. That we're not better off. That the life is not growing, but it's collapsing. And uh, people are just starting to realize, and I believe that that is a sign. and now, but I've got to tell you i don't know I don't know what uh, if revival is going to come to the world. I don't know if revival is going to come to the United States. I don't know if revival is going to come to uh, Grayson and Fan and counties. I don't even know if revival is going to come to Hebron. Baptist Church, but let me tell you what I do know in my heart beyond everything else, and that is if Hebron wants to experience revival, if you want to experience revival, we can. It's totally possible, and might I also add, that if we are ever going to become everything that we can be, we need to experience revival here at Hebron Baptist Church. We need to experience revival in our individual lives. And and, uh, folks, let me just share something with you this morning. I believe that the greatest need for our church today is not finances. It's not that we need to bring in more money. The fact of the matter is it does take money to run a church. We do have to pay the light bill. We do have to have the place clean. We do have to uh, have air conditioning and all of that kind of stuff. It does take money to run a church, but that's not our greatest need. Our greatest need is not that new building, educational building that we're wanting to build. That is certainly needed. If you've been down to the lower 40 down there, you know that there is a need that we need to do something, but that's not our greatest need. Our We have a need for new teachers, more teachers, more people that are willing to work and to, and to uh, teach our young folks and uh, teach adults and young adults and and singles, our college students, we need teachers, we need people that can do that kind of thing, but that's not our greatest need. Not for Hebrew and Baptist church today. Our greatest need is an old-fashioned, heaven-sent, sin-killing, Christ-exalting revival in the life of this church and in our individual lives. Could you say amen to that? That's what we need. That's what we need more than anything else in this world that God would send a revival. Now, with that said, let me share with you the title of my message this morning is Something. And I shared with you a while ago that with the way things are going in the world today, something has got to happen. That something is a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But for me... I choose to believe that that something is a revival in the hearts of God's people. I've devoted this entire year of preaching to Hebron Baptist Church about becoming everything that we can be. For that to happen, there needs to be a revival. That's what this passage before us is all about this morning. I want to share with you three divine principles about something that we need to happen. And we're in Psalms 85. And it says, Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sins. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the uh, fierceness of your anger. Restore us, O God of our salvation and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Let's pause for a moment and go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, once again, we come to you this morning and we ask you to teach us from your word. I pray, God, Lord, that you would send revival to your church. Let that be the something that we need to happen in our world today. Father, if it's not in our world, if it's not in our country, if it's not in our counties, Lord, if it's not even in the church, let it be in me. I pray, God, that you bring revival and uh, let it begin with me. God I just thank you for this. I ask Lord that you anoint me, help me to preach this message this morning, for it's in Jesus name, I pray. Amen. I want to give you three divine principles that I find in this passage of Scripture. And the first one is the, I, I, I said the origin, the origin of that something. And the something that I'm talking about is revival. So what is the origin of revival? And if you look there in verse 6, it says, um, "Wilt or Will you not revive us again that your people might rejoice in you? Will you not revive us again? David recognized that for revival to come, God... Must send it. Revival is totally from God. If you look in that passage that I just read, you'll find six times right in a row, starting in verse 1, that David says, You have, you have, speaking to God... You have, notice what it says, you have brought back the captivity. You have forgiven our iniquity. You have covered all of our sins. You have taken away all of your wrath. You have turned from uh, uh, the fierceness of your anger. He's saying you have, he's recognizing that God is the one that is going to bring revival. If we're going to have that something at Hebron Baptist Church, if we're going to have that something in our own lives, it's going to be because that God does something. It's not because of Russell Clemens. It's not because of any of your Sunday school teachers. It's not because of your deacons. It's not because of the fact that we're alive in this time. If God Wants us to have revival. It's got to come from Him. It's not something that we can uh, manufacture ourselves. He says six times, God, you have, you have, you have, you have, and then He says three times, will you, will you, will you? If you so notice there, in verse five, it says. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again? See, folks, we can plan meetings. We can organize. We can set up the sound. We can put together the instruments. We can sing the songs. We can do all of that. We can invite people to come to the meetings. But we can't manufacture revival. Revival comes from God. Now let me, let me ask you a question this morning. Do you believe, I'm asking you, do you believe that America needs a revival? Do you believe Grayson and Fannin County needs a revival? Do you believe Hebron Baptist Church needs a revival? Do you believe that you need a revival? That's what's going to help us to become everything that we can be. If you believe that, then will you join me and pray like David prayed that God would do it again, that He would revive us again. Only God can send revival. It's not something that we can manufacture. We have to trust Him and call upon Him. We need to be like David with intensity and fervency and ask God to send revival again. So the origin of that something or the origin of revival... The next thing that I want you to notice here is the opportunity for that something. The opportunity for revival. Because I believe with all my heart that revival can happen. Folks, if I didn't believe that we could know revival, if I didn't believe that revival could come to Hebron Baptist Church, if I didn't believe that revival could come to my life and to your life, I would close this book, I would go home, and I wouldn't come back. Because I believe God wants to do something in the lives of His people. I don't think God is satisfied with what's going on in our world today. Revival can happen. David said, will you not revive us again? And notice there, in the we don't see it in the English translation, but in the Hebrew, the emphasis on that uh, uh, sentence, will you, will you not revive us again, the emphasis is on the word us. The emphasis is on us. God must send revival, but we must meet the conditions for revival. Now let me tell you what the first condition for revival is. Revival is, uh, we need to understand what revival means. Revival is not a planned series of evangelistic meetings in baptist life that's what we when we think of revival we think of certain meetings and we're going to have a revival and we bring in a new preacher and a and a maybe a song leader and and we're going to have a revival but that's not what biblical revival is all about it's not a series of evangelistic meetings it's not seeing lost people saved some people think that Revival, Boy, if we start seeing a lot of people saved, that we would be in revival. But that is not even what uh, uh, biblical revival is all about. Now, we do pray that lost people will be saved and we will rejoice. And oftentimes when there is revival, lost people are being saved. But the fact of them being saved is not necessarily what biblical Revival is all about. The world, uh, the word revival means to bring back to life, to revive. You can't bring back to life someone who's never had life. You see, lost people are not alive spiritually, they don't have a spiritual life. So, getting them to be born again. See, they have to be born again because they weren't alive before. They were alive physically, but they weren't alive spiritually. That's what being born again is all about. So we need them to get born again. But that's not what revival is. Revival is those people that are believers. Those people that are born again believers in Jesus Christ that are not living their lives as Jesus intended for them to live the word revival the word revival means to bring back to life revival is about God doing something in the life of believers you remember the story in the, Bible, the book of Jonah you remember what God did Jonah was a prophet of God and God called Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to them because I want to do a work in Nineveh. And Jonah got to thinking about it and he says, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't believe God's going to do something in Nineveh. I don't want to go to Nineveh. So he went down to Joppa, got on a ship and started going in the opposite direction to Tarshish. Remember that story? A rebellious prophet not wanting to do what God told him to do, was running from God, and the Bible says that while they were, while he was on that ship, he went down in the hull of that ship and went to sleep, and while he was asleep, a great storm blew up, and that storm was beating against the ship. That ship was about to break apart. You've seen movies in this crazy storms, and that ship was just about to fall apart, break apart by the wind and the waves and the, and the surges, and uh, the sailors on that ship were crying out to their pagan gods. They weren't believers. They were crying out to their pagan gods with no results at all. While the prophet, the rebellious prophet of God, was down in the hull of the ship, fast asleep, seemingly oblivious to all that was going on in the world around him. Finally, the sailors went down. They remembered that Jonah was a prophet of the true God. And they went down there and they brought him up to the deck. And Jonah saw what was going on. And he realized that this thing, that God was was bringing judgment against him. And he says, it's my fault. And he prayed to his God. He repented and told the sailors to throw him overboard. They did that. You know what happened? The storm calmed. When Jonah got right, when Jonah got... uh, back to where he needed to be in his relationship with God, all of the sailors on that ship were saved. And later, you know the story, he was swallowed by that whale, spit out on dry line. He went to Nineveh and preached what God told him to preach and all of Nineveh was saved. All of Nineveh was redeemed. The only thing that was impeding God's work in Nineveh and in that ship was a rebellious prophet asleep in the hall, oblivious to what was going on in the world. Folks, listen to me. This world is in difficult shape right now. We cannot sit back and be oblivious to what is Going on. Do you know what I used to think about how revival came? What I thought was necessary for revival to come? I thought if we were going to have revival, I had to get all the people in the church excited about Jesus. I had to get all the people excited who were willing to repent of their sin and turn back to God and, and be everything that uh, God wanted them to be. I thought the only way we could have a revival is for me to somehow inspire the congregation to turn back. But you know what? That'll never happen. That'll never happen. I'll never get everybody to, boy, want revival more than anything else in their life. Then I say, okay, well, if I could just get the Sunday school teachers, if I could just get the the leaders of the church, if I could get the deacons of the church, if I could just get them all excited and willing to repent and ready for God to do something great in our lives, if I could just get all of them to do it. That'll never happen either, folks. I'll never get everybody it won't happen. But then I'm reminded, you remember the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation? One of those churches was to a church in a town called Laodicea. Laodicea was that church that was lukewarm that made God want to make a spew him out of his mouth. He 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 wanted revival to come to that church, Laodicea. And in Revelation chapter three and verse twenty, you remember you remember that passage of scripture in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus himself went to the door of that church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hear my voice, I will come into him and have fellowship with him, sup with him and him with me. Remember that? Remember that? Remember? What does it say? What does it say? If anyone hear my voice. That also can be, if just one. If anyone, if it's anyone, it could be just one. It doesn't take everybody in the church. If just one person is willing to say, I want God to send revival and I want it to begin in me, that opens the door To the possibility that revival might come. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying, anyone, if even one person, here's my call and answer it. I will come in and have fellowship and have fellowship and allow you to have fellowship. God has given us a mandate. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Just open the door. You say, well, pastor, how do we open the door? How? I mean, how can we open the door? Well, every question that God puts in our minds, He also gives us an answer, and He gave us the answer to how we can open that door uh, I see it referred to all the time. You folks are familiar with it. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people, who? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. If my people, notice notice what he says. He says, if my people, he doesn't say, if Washington can get it right, I'll heal your land. It doesn't say, if Governor Abbott can get it right, He'll heal our land. Folks, listen to me. The answer is not in government. The answer is in you and me. If my people... And then it says four things that he wants his people to do. If my people will humble themselves... And you know that may, he put that first because it may be the hardest. If we'll humble ourselves and realize sometimes it's hard for us to say I just can't do it on my own. Doesn't matter how strong I am. It doesn't matter how rich I am. It doesn't matter how famous I am. It doesn't matter how resourceful I am. I just Can't do it on my own. I need God. I need him to be in my life. He says, if my people will humble themselves, and then he says, humble themselves and pray. How often? How often? Honestly and truly. I'm not asking for a show of hands. I'm not asking anybody to answer me out loud. But how often do you really pray for revival in this church? I mean, come before God and say, God, we, you've done it before. Won't you do it again? Will you not revive us again? How often? How often? He says, if my people will humble themselves, that means we've got to admit that we're not where we need to be, where we want to be, where we can be, and pray, God, God, make me that person. Make me, make me that person. Lord, help me to be what you, everything that I can be. Help me to be what you want me to be. He says, if my people shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, seek my face. Remember what I said a while ago about the collapse of society? One of the things that leads to that is, uh, is an apostasy uh, to, uh, to, toward God. People just not thinking that God is relevant, that other things are more important. Uh, uh, seeking his face means that I'm putting you first. I'm putting you first. What did did Jesus say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Don't worry about the things. Seek first the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, seek my face. Turn back to Him. Let our focus be on God. He says, if my people will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Now, folks, we categorize sin. We think there's some really big sins. And then there are little, little sins. Right? Don't we do that? Shake your head. Look intelligent. We do that. We categorize sins. And, and we don't want to, we will not commit those big sins. But the little ones, they're just little sins. Do You know what the Bible says? The Bible says if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all of them. Sin is, see God doesn't categorize sin. For him, sin is Sin. It's the transgression of His will. It's going your way and not His way. And we do that and we do it over and over again and think nothing of it. No wonder we're in the shape that we're in. If my people will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Looked at the origin of that something, the opportunity of that something. We do have that opportunity. Let me share with you now the outcome of that something the outcome of revival. And number one, there is spiritual fellowship. Spiritual fellowship. We have fellowship with Christ. It will be restored. We will spend more time with Him and His guidance and His grace will become more real to us. A lot of times people are just wandering around not knowing where to go and we're seeking God's guidance but we don't seem to find it When we humble ourselves and pray and and seek His face and turn from His wicked ways, He's going to hear us from heaven and there will be a spiritual fellowship renewed where we want to spend more time with God. And the more time we spend with Him, that guidance and that grace becomes more real in our lives. Our fellowship with one another... Uh, becomes more relevant. It becomes more important to us. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We actually, we are truly a family. Isn't that? I mean, spiritually, we are. You're my brother and my sister in Christ. But the reality of it is, in the everyday life, we don't live like that. We don't, we... We, we we don't spend time with one another. We don't we don't fellowship with one another. We're not uh, I mean maybe family members, but 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 I'm I'm talking about across the church. We have fellowships in the church and we have five or six that we all get together every year. What happens? What happens if your children only come see you five or six times? It may be not even that many times. Oh, if they miss one, I, you know, that's okay. We don't like we want We want them around us. We want to spend time with our family. There ought to be times, and we'll talk about this in a minute when we're over there with the Sunday school teachers. We're going to talk about how there ought to be fellowships There ought to be, I'm not talking about just the church-wide things when we do an ice cream social or a game night or whatever, but there ought to be class fellowships where you get together and you spend time and you grow together and you experience that koinonia, that closeness that comes. There will be spiritual also rejoicing. We'll rejoice together when we come and people, uh, when revival comes and people turn back to God, uh, we recognize that He is our true source of joy. Our joy in the Lord. Our joy is in the Lord. It's not in the lake or the beach or the mountains or wherever you go. Our joy is not in our jobs or in our finances. The Bible teaches for the... uh, the, the, the family of God, our rejoicing, our joy is in the Lord. And i got one more thing to say, and I'll be finished. Did you know that every major social or political reform in American history came as a result of a revival? Did you know that? The freedom, the slaves being freed, that came out of a revival that swept the country in the, 19, uh, in the 1850s. And that brought about that movement that freed the slaves. The end of, the, most of you don't even know that there ever was, but there used to be the, the standard was a 90-hour work week. Now we have a 40-hour we, the, the work week. The end of the 90 hour work week came as a result of a revival. Do you ever heard of the YMCA? The YMCA was formed as a result of a revival. The Salvation Army? The Salvation Army was formed because of a revival. The Sunday school movement in our country in 1925 was, was brought about by a revival. The Civil Rights Movement? It was brought about because of revivals. The Jesus movement, we went to see a movie about that not long ago. It was brought about because as a result of a revival in a church there in Southern California. Folks, listen to me. When revival comes, things happen. Most of the time it starts off as a trickle. We may not even really realize it's happening, but it begins to build and it begins to build, and it begins to build. I live in Denison. How many of you have been to the Denison, Dam? Most of you. Most of you have been there. At least gone over it once or twice. You've been there. I live in Denison. I've been out there lots of times. Ordinarily, when we go, there may be four or five. If the the gates, you know, if they're generating and the gates are open, there may be ten because some people are out there fishing in the river. But most of the time, especially when they're not generating, there may be four or five cars out there. Since I've been living in Denison a little over 20 years, it's gone over the spillway twice. And uh, it washed out that road, Highway 91 that goes out across. It washed that out the last time I think it was. When it went over the spillway, And that water was just flooding over there. I went out there several times to just look at it. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. There wasn't four or five cars there. There were literally hundreds. They had to have the sheriff's department out there directing traffic. I mean, I mean, people... When, especially after 91 got washed out, people would go all the way around, up 75 and out to Colbert and over and back and just to see what was going on. You know why? Because they didn't know if they'd ever say it again. I mean, this was really something. And thousands of people all over North Texas and Southern Oklahoma went out to the Denison Dam to see what was going on. Folks, listen to me <laughs> It may start off as a trickle. When those gates were closing just a little bit, I mean the Red River almost, you could almost walk across it. Nobody went to see it. But boy, when that flood came, oh, people flocked. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Revival may start off as a trickle, but as God's people become more and more involved, it spreads. And people come. They hear the gospel. People will be saved. And change begins to take place in the world. New movements begin to be made. And God begins to work. In the life of a nation. Would you pray with me. That God. Would send revival again. Let's pray. Father God thank you. Thank you for your goodness and for your love. Thank you for everything that you do. God we pray. That you will send revival. Lord help us. Help us. To uh. Humble ourselves. Help us, Lord, to pray and to seek your face and to turn from our wicked ways. Repent. Help us not be that impediment like Jonah was for so long. Help us to turn back to you and see you work in the lives of our people, the life of our nation. You're a good God and a gracious God. You've done it before, Lord. I ask you to do it again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.